God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord says, This is the man to whom I will look, he that is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Almighty God, most faithful in all your ways, you have opened the gate of mercy for your people, and you are always ready to welcome those who turn to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we do this day. We pray you would look upon us in your compassion, that we may gladly respond to your grace and mercy, and faithfully walk in your way through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first hymn is number 394, This Day at Thy Creating Word. God's amazing love is this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because we have faith in him, we dare to approach God with confidence. In faith and repentance, let us confess our sin before God and before one another. Let us pray the prayer printed in the bulletin. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon.
People of God, hear the good news. We have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. Saints of the holy God, obey the word of God, which says, putting away falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may be able to give to those in need. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may impact, impart grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say together, Amen. Our hymn is number 182, My Song is Love Unknown. Rise and needs will have 
bring our hearts and minds together to pray for those in need. Let us pray. Great and mighty Lord, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have come to dwell with us through Jesus Christ. You have saved us so that we might not be undone by our sin. You protect us and comfort us and free us to love and obey you. We thank you that through your blessed Son, Jesus Christ, and in the bond of the Holy Spirit, you have come to dwell with us and we with you. We rejoice that we may come confidently to you for all things needed in the service of your Son. We praise and thank you for being near to all your people who ask for your grace in Christ's name and for his sake. O Lord, in you we do take refuge. May we never be put to shame. You are for us a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save us. Bring peace and human rights to those places where diplomats and rulers fail. We think especially now in this world of Afghanistan and North Korea, Ukraine, Iran, Yemen, in our cities here around and in Detroit, New Orleans, Chicago, St. Louis, and other places in this world like China. Enable us to bring peace in this world as your people, as followers of Christ, bearing witness to you, that you are the one who turns the chaos and the wasteland into a fruitful garden, that you have conquered sin and evil through Jesus Christ, and that in him you bless this world with a new peace, an everlasting peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Here are our prayers for the nations and for the church in places where there is great conflict. Here are our prayers. Almighty King, preserve good government in this land so that social order and justice would be maintained, wrong would be punished, and moral right would be upheld. We pray you would send aid to those who have suffered from the hurricane in Florida. We thank you for the freedom the church has had to proclaim your word, and we pray that that freedom would continue. Here are our prayers for the courts in this country where we, where we reside, we pray for Joe Biden, our president, for our senators and representatives, for Gretchen Whitmer, our governor, and all those who lead us.
Prosper your church, our Father. Keep us free to serve you instead of serving ourselves. Make us willing to follow Christ in the way of the cross because we belong to him. Fill your church with wisdom and humility, love and faith. Pour out your spirit upon us without ceasing. We do pray for the church, for all churches, that you would reform their ministry according to your word, that they would exercise discipline and faithfully proclaim the gospel. We pray now for our foreign missionaries and the churches of our presbytery. We pray for Harvest, OPC in Grand Rapids, and their pastors Dale Van Dyke, Wayne Veemstra, and Greg Norfleet. We pray for Pilgrim OPC in Metamora and their new candidate, who soon will probably will looks like he will soon become their pastor. We pray for Covenant Church in Kamoka and John Ferguson, their pastor, and for the mission work in Indiana and the pastor working there, Ryan Cavanaugh. We also pray for Grace Covenant Church in Sheffield, Ontario, that is without a pastor, and the search has been difficult for them. Here are our prayers for these churches and others that come to mind. Merciful Savior, bless now this congregation of your people. Keep us in your grace. Make us faithful witnesses of your wondrous deeds for our salvation. May we always offer to you ourselves and all that we have, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter if we are rich or poor, old or young, sick or healthy. We pray for those in poor health and in need, for Eduardo and Shirley, for Jeff and Linda, for Bob and Fawn, for our friends Becky, Karen, Mrs. Mesner, Angie, Tom, Phil, Bob, Judy. We also remember Frida and others we name to you. Strengthen them in body and in soul with faith in Christ. Grant to them the things they need. Keep our faith firmly in Christ before our impending death. And may your Holy Spirit lead us in holiness and righteousness all our days, that we may serve you in this generation, in the confidence of a certain faith, in the comfort of a sure hope, in favor with you, our God, and with love for this world. All these things we pray through Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
Please stand as we pray dedicating offering. And it's the prayer printed in the bulletin. Father, our Creator, everything on earth is yours. We have nothing that can make you richer, for it all comes from you in the first place. For what we have, we bring with our acknowledgement of thanksgiving to you. And that without you, we have nothing and cannot serve you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we present our offering. Amen. And now let us pray together the, uh, we'll pray the prayer for illumination as we prepare to hear the word uh, read and preached. Let us pray. Father, earlier we sang that your spirit would fill our hearts with grace to hear. This is our prayer just now, that uh, you would awaken us to this life-giving word, that we would be transformed by it, that our hope would be firmly fixed on Christ, and that we would walk, therefore, in uh, gratitude and freedom and confidence because of your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We begin our reading in Isaiah. Isaiah 54, the first eight verses. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will, and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you, like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. 
Salter response is in the bulletin. <clears throat> Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Let your ears be attentive. To the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. O Lord, who is the But with you there is forgiveness. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And he will redeem Israel. Our epistle reading is from Ephesians, chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in, the, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And finally, the gospel reading in Mark chapter 14. Beginning in verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all fled They all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. The word of the Lord. In our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus is abandoned. 
It's succinctly said in verse 51, and they all forsook him and they fled. Now, this is not just something that happened when Jesus was betrayed and arrested. It happens today. Those of you who are older, uh, my age, maybe close to my contemporary, you've probably heard of Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was a Reformed pastor who started a community in Switzerland called Labrie, where people could come and stay for a time and engage in thoughtful reflection and conversation about the modern world and the history of ideas. He created a video series that, that went along with this. He produced a study that was called How Should We Then Live? And in it, he's the narrator. He's dressed in these uh, little Swiss short, you know, the, the, the whole German-Swiss-looking thing, and he's got this beard. He's a very odd-looking fellow. Um, and it works through the development of Western civilization and critiques it according to the Christian faith. The college I attended was not reformed by any means, but it used this overview for its humanities courses, which I find interesting today. Francis Schaeffer is one of the early pastors of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Grove City, where my daughter's husband's family are members. So that's another interesting thing about it. Here was a well-known and prolific Christian. Edith Schaefer, Francis Schaefer's wife, is also, was also a celebrated author. Francis and Edith Schaefer had a son named Frankie. Frankie Schaefer grew up in the Reformed and Presbyterian Church with his parents, but in adulthood he moved on to the Greek Orthodox Church. Since then, he has become an author and film director. It might have been concurrent with when he was changing churches. He has stridently attacked conservative Christianity, but more than that, he struggles with Christianity as a whole. Starting with a, around 2014, he started, and he wrote a book called Why I Am an Atheist Who Believes in God. He has described himself as a Christian atheist, saying that even though he attends church every weekend and prays, he says, I do not always believe, let alone know if God exists which is okay, Christians might doubt, but he goes on and says, I do not always know he, she, or it does not exist either, though there are long patches in my life when it seems God never did exist. So he's struggling more and more with whether God even exists. Schaefer has stated that one of his goals of his book is to unhook young evangelicals, like some of you in this congregation, from allegiance to the Bible. It's not entirely clear, I can't say this as a definitive statement, but it appears that Frankie Schaefer is on his way to abandoning Jesus. And you probably know others like this. Maybe they're family members or friends who grew up in a church or have looked into being a Christian and they have decided not to follow Jesus. And that is, uh, this seems to be the case in our society. More and more, Jesus has been pushed out of mainstream American society. Jesus is not welcome as a moral guide on many college campuses. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is not cool anymore. Christian philosophical arguments that assume God, creation, sin, and redemption are dismissed out of hand. The case can be made that the American mainstream society is fleeing from Jesus Christ. There are plenty of examples today of individuals and even our society abandoning Jesus. Now, in our text, there are different ways Jesus is abandoned. Verse 50 sums it up for the disciples, and they all left him and fled. But this can easily be extended to everyone who was at Jesus' arrest that tragic night. 
The chief priests and the scribes and the elders are mentioned in verse 43. They are Jesus' antagonists. From the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, they are, are clearly opposed to Jesus. The first story that involves some of the Jewish leaders is the story of the paralyzed man who's let down through the roof of the house with Jesus inside. You remember that in chapter 2. The man's friends lowered him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus took one look at the man and knew what he needed most of all. He needed his sins forgiven. Jesus absolved the man of his sins, saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes were offended by Jesus, and they said, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The assumption was that, God, that Jesus is not God. Thus, in their first encounter with Jesus in the gospel, the scribes had rejected him as God. And it was the same for the Pharisees, the chief priests, the elders, and the Sadducees, all the leaders of Israel. They accepted Jesus as Jesus, but they rejected him as God. Now, modern secularism is like that. It accepts that there was a man named Jesus, but after that, it all gets sketchy, they think. At one time, modern secularists believed Jesus was a good man who did good things for people, and his teaching promoted peace and kindness towards our fellow man. But we hear more and more people saying that Jesus was not a good person and his teaching poisoned humankind. Jesus is even condemned as contributing to many social problems like racism. Regularly now, the argument pops up that Jesus was a racist because of how he treated the Syrophoenician woman. I've used this example in other sermons, but this is becoming uh, repeated fairly often, that Jesus was a racist because of how he treated the Syrophoenician woman. When the woman asked Jesus to heal her demon-possessed daughter, he said, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So referring to people as dogs was a derogatory term in the first century. So the argument goes that by using that word, Jesus was devaluing the Syrophoenician woman. Another popular criticism of Jesus today is that his teaching causes sexual repression, which restricts our freedom, prevents our full development, and leads to bad behavior. Modern secularism does not believe Jesus is God. Yet this is exactly what the gospel proclaims. See, this is the rub. Jesus is the Lord. And this gospel, the gospel of Mark, that's, that's essential That's the essential message. Jesus is the Lord who goes to the cross and dies for us. To be more defined, Jesus is the eternal Son of God who is fully God who became fully man. This is fundamentally who he is. This is what the gospel teaches and what what, uh, the Christian faith believes. Therefore, to reject Jesus is to reject God because he is God. Well, it's not just modern secularists that do this. The whole world has rejected God. This is part and parcel of the message of the Bible and the Christian faith, that God created all things. His premier creation was man and woman. Scripture says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God created humanity. Along with everything else, good and in personal relationship, right relationship with God. That's how he created humanity and his creation. However, the man and the woman disobeyed God and sinned against him. They sinned against their creator and Lord. So to put it simply, mankind turned away from God. The human race rejected him. The story of Adam and Eve is every single person's story. It's the story of us all. 
And therefore, when the Lord came down into this world, when the Son of God became man, he entered into a world that had already rejected God. Consequently, he was already abandoned by this world. And in our text, the Jewish leaders retained this rejection of the Lord. They did not believe he is God. They never received Jesus as God who came to save us from our sin. They abandoned Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. That's one way Jesus is abandoned. It's, you might say, the default abandonment of this world. And this is by far the most common kind of abandonment of Jesus, obviously, because everyone has done it. All those who have rejected Jesus without, without ever following him. Countless people who have never believed he's, he is God and the Savior of the world. That's, that's just ubiquitous. That's everywhere. So that's one way that Jesus is abandoned in our text. Another way is Judas. Judas is another way that Jesus is abandoned. Judas the betrayer, the treacherous traitor. Mark reminds us that he was one of the twelve, but he went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. The chief priests gladly gave Judas money for betraying Jesus. Now, we cannot read into the mind of Judas. We don't know his intentions in rejecting Jesus. This is actually considered a fallacy, a logical fallacy, the intentional fallacy that we could somehow look into the mind of someone and know what they intended. We can't do that. What we do know is that he substituted something else for Jesus. Anything can be substituted for Jesus. Money, sex, careers, family, ideologies, a cause, our ethnic identity, personal rights, anything. What is distinct about Judas is that he was one of the followers of Jesus, which means we're talking about a way of abandoning Jesus for his disciples. And this is different than the world's rejection of Jesus. People in the world do have some kind of ultimate love. They do have their God, you will, if, with a little g. They all have some, uh, something that they love most of all. And I've just mentioned those things I mentioned, money, sex, careers, family, ideologies, a cause, ethnic rights, or ethnic identity, personal rights. They, they, those things can be substituted for Jesus in our world. But that's the difference. They've made those things their ultimate loves or gods without substitution. Judas followed Jesus. Jesus. Judas knew Jesus. He heard his teaching. He saw his miracles. Judas had a certain level of knowledge about Jesus, and yet... Judas chose to exchange one for the other. He exchanged money for Jesus. And that's the difference from the rejection of this world. It's not substituting anything. It's just continuing in its rejection and its love for other things. The disciple substituted. So this is another way to abandon Jesus. Today there are those who are baptized in the church, who are taught who Jesus is, who are present as the church worships Jesus, and then they grow up and they abandon Jesus for something else. And the world has many scintillating things to offer. And there are some in the church who choose those things over Jesus. There are others who have followed Jesus much of their life, and then unexpectedly they turn away from Jesus. It might be because they buy the arguments against Jesus in our secular society, or they want to be free to do what they want to do. They stop worshiping Jesus, they drop out of the church, they toss aside their faith in Jesus Excuse me. I know several Christians who've done this. One of them was very angry, 
And most of all, he was angry at Jesus for not giving him the things he wanted, so he abandoned Jesus. He did not say it in such a crass, clear way, not in so many words, but he stopped worshiping Jesus, he stopped praying to Jesus, he stopped wanting to follow Jesus. He found other things he wanted to do instead. All indications were that he had abandoned Jesus by substituting other things for him. The unnamed person with the sword is one more way that Jesus was abandoned in our story. Verse 47, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, Mark does not make it clear who this person was. Was he a member of the crowd that came to arrest Jesus? This was not a typical crowd that followed, that, that came up after Jesus. The, this crowd was armed with swords and clubs. The crowd that followed Judas sounds like a crowd of ruffians who come to back Jesus up. If you saw somebody walking towards you with a group of guys behind it with swords and clubs, what would you think? This is not a normal crowd. This is a dangerous-looking crowd. They were working for Judas, who was cooperating with the priests and scribes. So why would a member of Judas' gang cut off the right ear of the high priest's servant? More likely, it was one of those who followed Jesus, and the Gospel of John tells us it was Peter. Some of Jesus' disciples had great expectations for Jesus and the change that he could bring. Among the crowd of Jesus' followers were those who thought Jesus was their Judas Maccabeus. Remember when he entered Jerusalem and they're laying down all their cloaks and everything and waving the palm branches? It was very similar to when Judas Maccabeus came back into Jerusalem when they retook the city from um, Antiochus IV. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, there was this great expectation among many of his, his larger followers, those who were, who were excited by him, that he might do something great in this world, and especially for the Jews. Jesus spoke of God's kingdom coming into the world. He was willing to challenge the authorities and their status quo. Jesus was popular among the common people. Some of his admirers expected Jesus to start a revolution. In the days of Jesus, there were sects of Jews stirring for a rebellion against Rome. A lot of them lived out in the desert in uh, other communities. Insurrection was in the air. It was tense. Jewish zealots were trying to agitate the Jews in Judea. And one of the disciples of Jesus, Simon, is called the zealot in the Gospel of Luke, Simon the Zealot. When the priests and scribes came to arrest Jesus, it was now or never, if you had this way of thinking. It was now or never. So Jesus' disciple drew his sword, cut off the ear of the servant to the high priest. And whether he was trying to provoke an insurrection, we don't know. What he did do was try to take matters into his own hand. He was prompting Jesus. He was helping Jesus. He may have been trying to ignite the Jesus revolution, or he was trying to protect Jesus, but either way, he was trying to do something to contribute to what Jesus was doing. This also is a way of abandoning Jesus because it assumes that Jesus is unable to do what he came to do, that he needs our help. At the end, the end of it, Mark says all the disciples abandoned Jesus and fled. There was no one who remained by his side on the way to the cross. As the story of Jesus' passion continues, we are told that Jesus was alone as he was interrogated, as he was beat up, as he was scourged, as he was forced to carry his cross up the hill to Golgotha. 
And oh yes, there were many people around him. The Jewish leaders were around him, the crowds, Roman soldiers, a passerby named Simon of Cyrene who was compelled, forced to carry the the cross, um, forced into service to carry the wooden cross because Jesus was too weak to carry it. But when Simon brought the cross to the place where it would be set on the ground, he backed away and disappeared into the crowd. We don't hear about him anymore. And he disappeared while the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. Nobody stood with Jesus all the way to his crucifixion. When Jesus was hung on the cross, he was abandoned by everyone. He was abandoned by the Jewish leaders. He was abandoned by the crowds of Jews, by his own disciples, by the Roman soldiers, and by you and me. Humanity, in its shame, abandoned Jesus. Mark includes this strange little caveat to the story of Jesus' arrest. It's the story of a young follower of Jesus who was almost seized, but he slipped out of his cloak and ran away naked. And it's created all kinds of speculation. Some have wondered, was this Mark? Mark himself? That's, that's been a common interpretation. But how could it be Mark if Mark joined the apostles during their missionary journeys after Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church? We read about that. If it's the same Mark, we read about that in Acts. Whoever it was, Mark implies it was an unnamed disciple who abandoned Jesus in shame. It was not just everyone else who abandoned Jesus. It was all of his disciples, everyone who followed him, Jesus' disciples like you and like me. If Mark did put that in there to talk about himself, he's putting it in there after the fact. He's including himself in the story. Not even we who confess Jesus, Lord and Savior, who love him and are committed to following him, remained with him on the way to the cross. Now, that's not hard to get because we didn't exist, right? But if we're part of the human race that abandoned Jesus, abandoned God from the very beginning, then we also abandoned him. Not a single person in this world helped Jesus when he was taken to the cross. But where is God in this story? During his arrest, Jesus refers to Scripture, verse 49, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And once more, I've mentioned this when Jesus has has said this before, I've mentioned that Jesus is often referring to God's plan, especially when he's not quoting a particular verse. He's referring to God's plan uh, that we can read about uh, with the Old Testament. God works out his purpose with Jesus' arrest and Jesus being abandoned by his disciples. Now, the scripture that Jesus means is the Old Testament. We might search for a specific text that says God's servant will be taken captive and put to death. And I'm sure somebody might find something that that they might apply that to Jesus. But Jesus here is referring to the whole of scripture. The Old Testament as a whole speaks of Jesus' abandonment. Not per se as, as, as directly about the abandonment particularly, But it does speak to this, what's happening here. And how does it do that, we might wonder. Well, the Old Testament as a whole teaches us that God alone is our salvation. No one else, and certainly no one working alongside him. Our lesson from Isaiah says it plainly. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth, he is called in verse 5 of Isaiah 54. It's not saying the Holy One of Israel and the Jews is your Redeemer. It doesn't say the Holy One of Israel and Peter and the disciples is your Redeemer. It doesn't say the Holy One of Israel and you 
is your redeemer. It just says the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. So running all the way through the Old Testament is the message that God alone is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Lord who comes into the world to accomplish our salvation by dying on the cross, and no one else does anything to help him redeem us, including ourselves. Salvation for us only comes through Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus one, whatever you want to add on. It's not Jesus plus something we do. There are all kinds of things we try to add to Jesus' work, to what he did. Doing good works for others is a common one. Last Friday, I, um, I went to the installation of the new pastor, whose name is Harrison Perkins, at Oakland Hills Community Church, one of our, our churches in our denomination in Farmington Hills. And Ralph Rebant was the former pastor. He gave the charge to the church. He used the line in our Ephesians lesson this morning that we are God's workmanship created beforehand for, God, for good works. And that's not why I chose that text. I chose it because it says that our salvation is a gift, a gift from God. But that line is in there, and he used it. We are God's workmanship created beforehand for good works. And Ralph's charge was very provocative. We need, he's talking to the church, <clears throat> he says we need to do good works inside the church and outside. We must do public good works for our, our light to shine in this world and to help preserve society. And it was well said, what he said. Good works are not irrelevant for us Christians. But, and Ralph did say this in his charge, we can't add them to Christ's work for our salvation. Jesus Christ goes to the cross alone. This is God's plan because only Jesus can accomplish our salvation. So do you see what Jesus is saying when he says that the, that the scriptures... Um, are, is fulfilling what the scriptures said, that he is abandoned by everyone and going to the cross to accomplish our salvation because only the Lord can do that. Only the Lord can be our redeemer. Nor can we add faith. We can't add to what Jesus has done our works, any good works, nor can we add our faith to Jesus' work for our salvation. Jesus does not go to the cross with our faith, and that's how we're saved. When he went to the cross, what faith? Who had faith when he went to the cross? It's after Jesus accomplished our salvation that we receive his salvation through faith in him. It becomes an instrument, a way that God uh, works up that faith and repentance within us by his Holy Spirit, and then we receive the salvation that Christ has accomplished for us. But our faith doesn't add anything to our salvation, and neither does the Bible. Unfortunately, I hear Christians say this or something like it, that the Bible saves us. And I want to put the best spin on that and say that's not really what they mean, but, but that's what they say. And in point of fact, there was no New Testament when Jesus was on the cross. There was no New Testament. So when we say the Bible, what do we mean? The scriptures was the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is referring to, and that's all they had at that point. The New Testament had not been written yet. The scriptures are the written word of God that point us to Christ, and they are important. They're the authority in the church, um, and so we, we do not treat them lightly, but they didn't die on the cross. Nothing we do or nothing we have done can be added to Jesus' work for our salvation. Jesus Christ went to the cross alone after everyone had abandoned him. Now, our abandonment of Jesus on his way to the cross humbles us. 
Everyone has forsaken and fled from Jesus. We are no different in that respect than anyone else. There is nothing special about us Christians when it comes to our salvation. We are not superior to unbelievers, and nor should we act that way in this world. Our abandonment of Jesus rightly humbles us. All praise be to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is our Savior and Redeemer. Let us pray. Grant us, O Lord, to trust in you with all our hearts. For as you always resist the proud who confide in their own strength, so you never forsake those who make their boast of your salvation in Jesus Christ alone, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith. Having heard the word of God, confess our faith with the creed printed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the, and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn is number 457, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
with one another as co-members of his one body. Hear the words of the institution of this meal. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We welcome to this table all who have been baptized, who have publicly professed faith in Jesus Christ, and our communicant members, which means you belong to a Christian church. If you are one of these, you are welcome to come to the table. If not, we are glad you're here. We hope that you will... We would ask you to stay back from the table until such time you are visibly recognized with Christ Church, your baptism, profession of faith, and belonging to your church. You are to come to this table with a true faith in Jesus Christ, a sorrow for and willingness to turn from sin, and a determination in reliance upon God's grace to lead a godly life in peace with and love toward your brothers and sisters. Now, Christian people, today we have been reminded that Jesus Christ went to the cross and accomplished our salvation alone. This day we have confessed our sins, received God's forgiveness, heard his call to live in love. As you come to the supper, I exhort you to remember the grace that is yours in him and strengthened by the sacrament, trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation and nothing else, no plus ones. And come to this meal with joy. Rejoice in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, be strengthened by his gifts, and find here the grace you need to follow where he leads. Join with me in giving thanks to God for his salvation and life for us in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. We give you thanks, Almighty God, for you have created us in your image, and you've given us a world full of good things. But most of all, you sent your beloved Son, who though he, was, he is equal with you, became a man and lived among us as the servant of our salvation. He was obedient even to die on the cross so that we might pass from death to life. He was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And therefore, with all the host of heaven, we praise your great and glorious name, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of the majesty of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now we pray that you would consecrate the spread and cups that are eating of this bread and drinking of this cup may be for us a participation in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we do come to this meal and receive it with faith. We profess our faith with the church that has said from time long before, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. We thank you that even as there is one bread and one cup, so the church is one. And together with all your holy people, we have been united to Christ. We praise you and glorify you forever, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom all good things come, and who has blessed us with the life-giving spirit. To you is all the honor and glory, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we offer our thanksgiving with one voice, and we say together, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Thank <laughs> you. 
Jesus said, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup, and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. <clears throat> Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we give you eternal praise and thanks that you have been so gracious to us, a poor and weak people, that you have drawn us to your Son, our Lord Jesus, whom you have delivered to death for us, and given to be our nourishment and our dwelling to eternal life. Grant that we may never relinquish these things from our hearts, that we would not abandon you or forsake you, but that we would ever grow and increase in faith to you, which, through the love of Christ, is effective for all good works. And so may our whole life be devoted to your praise and the edification of our neighbor. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 243, Praise the Savior Now and Ever.
Please be seated. Shall we uh, review the schedule and the bulletin for a moment? Next Sunday, Pastor Jeff will be out of town, and our guest preacher will be Steve Gonzalez. We've enjoyed Steve's uh, ministry to us on occasion, so we look forward to seeing him again next week. So, with Pastor being out of town, no Thursday Bible study this week. The women's prayer meeting, however, will go forward um, this Thursday at the Roberts home. The prison ministry is resuming. I think uh, some of the men did an orientation um, there recently. Chaz? And also, please pray that we can find a student, uh, some student interest in a Bible study or prayer meeting at Lawrence Tech nearby. Uh, we need uh, someone there to initiate Jeff's involvement on campus. So um, I'm talking with a student who might be able to um, see what kind of interest there is. So hopefully that. Um, takes takes shape, gets going. So, uh, Christian Ed will be um, in gear today, and the series Pastor has been doing on the Reformed tradition will take us through the end of this month. And then, uh, beginning in November and up to Christmas, we will be looking at uh, Luther's Christmas book, focusing on Advent. So um, it's never too early to start doing that. We'll do that in, in November and through December. And then, the, then after the holiday, um, there's a book that I want, I'm eager to discuss with you. Little little note, um, a theme of my personal and professional study over the last couple of years has been the dynamics of shame, just seeing what a common denominator that is and how people struggle. Um, and I'm not talking about, there. I think there is a redemptive shame where sin is exposed, but I'm talking about a more pernicious shame that's really not of the Lord, um, you know, that says, okay, you're not enough, there's something wrong with you, and, you know, go fix yourself, try harder to um, to make yourself acceptable, that kind of thing. So the only remedy to that 
is really the heart of Christ, God's delight in us. That undermines shame. And so it is in part for that reason I am particularly excited to um, discuss with you in the new year a book by Dane Ortland entitled Gentle and Lowly. It comes from Christ's description of himself in Matthew 11. Um, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I am gentle and lowly. Um, So I have, I just got a copy of the book myself. I've heard from my clients kind of rave reviews about this book. A little uh, endorsement by Michael Horton reads, Dane Orton, Dane Ortland leads us into the very heart of God, God incarnate. Not only what Jesus did for us, but how he feels towards us. That's right, feels towards us. Anchored in scripture and drawing on the Puritan Thomas Goodwin, this book is medicine for broken hearts. So, that's my pitch. Um, you have chance to order the book. I have a hardcover. I'm assuming there are paper. Not yet. Not in paperback yet. I have a You do? Yes. Okay. So if you want to order the book, please do so. You get a little head start on reading. And we will walk through this in the new year. And finally, I would like to invite any man who has served, even if you're not currently serving as elder or deacon, to meet with the session immediately after announcements, which I would presume is very soon. Because I'm done with, yes. Oh, we'll go to a classroom. Okay. That's all I have. Mrs. Wilson. Amen. So even if you couldn't interpret that um, on, from the back, you just heard the voice of Grandpa Tobias. Uh, um, ben and Courtney had a little boy, Seth, Seth Benjamin, this last week. So we're grateful for that. All right, very good. Let's... Uh, Get some refreshment. The gentlemen meet with the session, and we'll get back to Christian Ed later. <laughs>